Happy New Year and welcome to Authorise, the podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier, got a terrific author for you to meet today and an incredible book, uh, just an amazing story uh, from the uh, history of Australia uh, and an amazing story in the context of our relationship with the United States of America. More on that in a moment, but before we get to that story, how about the story of your finances? Probably took a belting over Christmas and New Year like mine did, I think like everybody's did, but if you want to set yourself up uh, for a successful 2024 and make sure that uh, your money, your finances, uh, your financial portfolio is doing what you want it to do, why don't you talk to my friends at CSCG because they are the best in the business. They'll set you straight on uh, where you're going, where you're heading, uh, do a a check of uh, what uh, what your finances are looking like and where they're heading and uh, then uh, help you set about uh, making it uh, where you want to go. So give them a call. It's that simple. Double nine seven four eight triple three, or jump on the website cscg.com.au. Now, the story that uh, Brett Mason has detailed in his book, Saving Lieutenant Kennedy, is amazing. It is the story uh, which she'll tell you about uh, of how the basically the uh, relationship between Australia and America was cemented in a in a most unusual fashion. But let's uh, get to Brett. Let's get to the book, and let's sort firstly out exactly how we should be pronouncing the title of this book. Saving now, do I say Lieutenant or Lieutenant Kennedy? Well, it's a good question, Kevin, because the Americans say Lieutenant. And when we talk about, so, you know, Lieutenant Kennedy and Reg Evans, Australian Coast Watcher, is Lieutenant. We, we pronounce it Lieutenant. Yeah, there <laughs> so you it's go. Quite a, and the British do the, you know, British do the same thing. Yeah, anyway, there it is, yeah. Well, it's a damn fine book and a damn fine story. It's, it's a good story, isn't it? You know, um, it's a, a bravery and uh, uh, Aussie Coast Watcher changes history by saving a future US president. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a Great tale of, uh, of Aussie daring do with the assistance, the great assistance of Solomon Island of Scouts. And um, it's amazing. Who would have thought that uh, he would never have guessed that that, that young drug of bloke was going to become president, I don't no, think. No, absolutely <laughs> not. How did you uh, come across the story first up, Brett? I knew about uh, Red Jevons saying Lieutenant Kennedy you know, years ago. And just through general reading, I think, and I was interested in you know, politics from my background and history. And then, of course, events came uh, together. Kevin, so we had Ambassador Kennedy, Carolyn Kennedy, uh, President Kennedy's daughter, being appointed as ambassador. We also had the 80th anniversary of saving of, uh, of Lieutenant Kennedy by Reg Evans, it's 60 years since uh, President Kennedy's death. So with all the anniversaries and with the presence of uh, Ambassador Kennedy, uh, my wonderful publisher said, that idea you had, Brett, is a really good one. And could you have it Could you have it out by next year, yeah, late next year? So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, was it sort of fueled by your connection to World War II uh, through, through your family? Later on. My connection became apparent, but only right towards the end of writing the book. I, you know, I had relatives fought in the uh, First World War and the Second World War, but I wasn't aware that that Frank Barrett uh, was in fact a coast watcher and indeed was killed killed in in New Britain in 1943. I, I didn't know that until right towards the end of writing the book. So I was, uh, which made it in a sense more poignant, the yeah. story. 
because uh, that, there's that sort of yeah family connection, and uh, it's it's just strange, isn't it? Australia perhaps wasn't such a large place in 19, 1943, but seven million people, and uh, a lot of us, a lot of people served, and, and quite a few died, uh, and one of them was a relative of mine. So yeah. Uh, it, it does make it uh, more meaningful. Yeah, uh, the the role of coast watcher is not one that is that is lauded or one that is celebrated in any great way um, uh, when we when we talk about and reflect on on the wars. Kevin, you're right. There was uh, several only ever several hundred at any one time coast watchers, and they were in effect intelligence officers. Uh, they spied on Japanese movements of men and material and bombers and so forth. So they could alert the Allies to what the Japanese military was up to. And uh, you know, before before drones and surveillance and WhatsApp and the rest, yeah. you know, you had you, you had coast watchers and they really did have a make a big difference in in, in the campaigns in Guadalcanal, uh, in the islands of, of, of the Pacific. And without them, you know, Admiral Halsey, the U.S. Admiral, said, you know, there was coast watchers that saved Guadalcanal and Guadalcanal saved the Pacific. So coast watchers were instrumental, really, in the early days of the Battle of Guadalcanal. So let's talk about uh, this story specifically, uh, the, the saving of the future president of the United States of America by a little Aussie. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, quite, it, it's an extraordinary story, but w- what you've done in the book is take it, is t- take it on a kind of broader picture even to that, haven't you? Yes, I have. I tried to blend the story in a couple of ways, contrasting the upbringing of, of John F. Kennedy with that of Reg Evans. And given, in a sense, the backstory of the, the relationship also of Australia and the United States, and then, of course, after the war, how the rescue uh, and PT-109 affected the life of Reg Evans, and, of course, more importantly, many levels, that of John F. Kennedy. So they become avatars, really, Kennedy and Evans in the, in the, the birth of the relationship of America with Australia. And... I hope I've done that successfully, Kevin. That's for others to judge, but I've tried to weave weave a, a broader narrative around a specific event. Because the story itself, I mean, once you tell that story, and yes, it's got a happy ending, and he he, he lives, and they both go on to to have uh, you know successful lives in their in their chosen areas. The, that's the end of that. But as you say, there are layers upon layers of, of what that meant um, in the bigger picture of, of the lives uh, and the relationship, particularly between Australia and America. That, that's right. Uh, it had it had a during the war. Uh, I'm in Brisbane as as, 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 we, as we speak. This was a garrison city, and we were really scared in this city. And I've spoken to my grandmother about this uh, that that the Japanese could arrive at any time. And when the Americans did arrive um, in, in 1941, just, just after Pearl Harbor, and America was no longer neutral, they declared war on Japan, Australia, and Brisbane in particular, sighed uh, a, a cry of relief because we really were could no longer rely on the United Kingdom for protection. It was the United States. And the story of... Evans and Kennedy is the meeting again of more Australians and more Americans. Seven, our population was what? Seven million during the war. And we had one million American servicemen coming through this country. 
and it changed Australia, changed, changed Australia forever. Uh, and it, it, in a sense, it became a, a possible model for a, for a, you know, a multicultural, more dynamic society for Australia. And Australia and America are still quite different, but it showed another way for Australia and for Australia's future. And Kennedy and, and Evans meeting on that island is an important part of that story because it actually, particularly in the Kennedy administration, but even more broadly, um, it was the start of friendship between the two peoples. Yeah. If you if you want to talk about sliding door moments, if, if that didn't happen, the uh, the course of history would be, God, who knows? That's right. Uh, it's That's very true. There wouldn't have been... President Kennedy, most likely, because PT-109 and the saving of, of, of Lieutenant Kennedy, it, it, yes, it's a great story, obviously, it's a great tale of heroism, but it also shaped Kennedy's future as a, as a politician yep. and, indeed, more generally, as a, as a man and his character. It paved his way in some ways, Kevin, to you know, the House of Representatives and Congress, to the Senate and, ultimately, the presidency. It was a critical part of the, of the Kennedy campaign mythology. Except it wasn't a myth. Uh, John F. Kennedy was a war hero. You know, there's no question about that. But your question's interesting because it's not just a... It wasn't just a campaign tool, his bravery, but it was born of PT-109, was born a certain scepticism of senior military officers by... John F. Kennedy. Kennedy was never taken in by Marshal Flummery, was never particularly impressed by generals and admirals and the rest. And after the Bay of Pigs, uh, which I think it's fair to call somewhat of a fiasco, by the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis in October of 1962, Kennedy's somewhat sceptical attitude to military advice probably saved the day. And as you know, it could have been a a worldwide nuclear war. Yeah. Uh, that was a really perilous time and somehow shaped by the incidents in, in, in 1943 and the sinking of PT-109. You're quite right. Uh, yeah. There's a, an effect both on him and his broader political out, out, outlook. Yeah, it's, it's the classic case of he, he'd got his hands dirty, uh, you know, at the, at the coalface and, uh, and had a, a, a much different view of, uh, of the way things played out. It, it's, it's the kind of script that if a Hollywood uh, producer had walked in and, or a Hollywood scriptwriter had walked in and put it on the table, you would have gone, yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. It, it's all a bit, it sounds a bit all a bit far-fetched, doesn't it, with the Aussie Coast Watcher and the, the Solomon Islander Scouts and... Kennedy um, spending what 11, 11 and a half hours in the water with uh, with his, the eleven or ten other surviving crew members. Two died you know, instantly, and then uh, after spending eleven hours in the water, then finally deciding they had with the the wreckage sinking inside of with inside of Japanese encampments, they made the decision to swim to a small island, which was about four hours away, and they swam there, Kennedy holding an injured man by his, um, by his life vest in his teeth. The Kennedy, Kennedy, the famous Kennedy smile was unshipped, but nonetheless, it's a hell of a swim. And it's an extraordinary story. And, and they got there, uh, and ultimately, of course, they were rescued. But the ones that, it's all, all 11 of them, uh, it's an extraordinary story of heroism. And also, Kevin, 
there's a bit of luck in it too. You know, yeah. the fact that the Islanders found them. Yeah, and then if then you take it to you know he goes on to be president of the United States. It's like it is it is a uh, I, I won't say far fetched because it's not far fetched, but it's certainly a stretch. It is, isn't it? And who would have and who would have thought that uh, that that would happen? I think that's what it shocked. I think Reg Evans, who had really hadn't given it much thought after the event, uh, he knew. He, because he read the, the piece that John Hersey published originally in the New Yorker and then was, was um, again, republished in Reader's Digest. And he read it in late 1944, you know, Reader's Digest. It's in all the doctors and dental surgeries. <laughs> and he read it. He thought, oh, actually, that was me. You know, that, that was me. I, re- I was the guy that, that organised that rescue of that, that young bloke, the, the son of the American ambassador to the United Kingdom, you know, Joe Kennedy. And, of course, over the years, as John F. Kennedy's political career took off, he didn't buy into it. Reg said it wasn't a glory and halo stunt. He said, I, I didn't want to buy into it. It was quite modest and humble, and he didn't want to get involved. In it. Finally, he, he was sort of outed, nearly, uh, or he outed himself ultimately because people wanted to know who was the, who was, who was the bloke that rescued President, you know, Senator, then President-elect, John F. Kennedy. And, of course, it was Reg Evans, this quite humble bookmaker from Sydney turned yeah. coast watcher. Yeah. Great story. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you if you put it in today's vernacular with the social media and the, and the means of communication we have now, it'd be front page of every paper for the next 10 years. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Isn't it funny? You're right. The media would be onto it you know, immediately, and there's a tendency these days to let it all hang out with social media. You know, people, you know, talk about themselves cleaning their teeth or something. You know, yeah. <laughs> in those days, there was a greater, re- greater sense of privacy and, and reticence and reserve than there is in you know, modern Australia or the modern Western world. So, it's a there is a cultural difference. I think it's fair to say between. Uh, uh, now in, in Reg Evans's day. Quite laconic, you know, quite a laconic Australian, a man of few words, but a man, uh, Reg Evans, not to be taken lightly. Yeah, he died at the age of 83. Uh, did, did he die with that, uh, with that sense of, uh, you know, that he was a hero? No. Yeah. He never saw himself as a hero. Uh, he, he, was just, he said, I was just doing my job. And, uh, you know, it was something particularly why he remembered is because the, he was the only uh, uh, person that came uh, to him uh, at all to be, to be rescued. He was the only one he rescued. So he remembered him. He remembered John F. Kennedy, this bedraggled, skinny, unshaven, exhausted young man. He remembered him. And he never saw himself as a hero. He thought the heroes were the Solomon Islanders, you know, the scouts that saw him. Uh, and he just thought his job as, uh, you know, sure, perilous, being a close watcher behind enemy lines, Kevin, of course. But he never saw himself as a hero, and it wasn't false modesty. He just thought, I was doing my job. If I hadn't been there, someone else would have done it. Yeah. That's what he said. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a bygone era and a bygone attitude, really, isn't it, in many ways, unfortunately? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it is. It's. I mean, it's what we what we used to lovingly refer to as a ripping yarn. I look. I, I hope so. As you mentioned, though, Kevin, it's the story is 
centred obviously on on the rescue of the JFK, Lieutenant Kennedy, but it's also about how Australia discovered America, America discovered Australia, and how, and how that has mattered to all of us ever since. So as you say, it's it's a, it's a, it's a, a story woven within a broader story, and the relationship between Australia and the United States clearly is, is critical to our security. It's always complicated dealing with a with a superpower, but I think you know most Australians would recognise the importance of the alliance. So there's any doubt about that. But you know, until the Second World War, we had very little to do, very little to do with the United States. Yeah, we're very much uh, beholden to the mother country, weren't we? We were, and we we had less to do with the United States than I thought we did. And when I was researching the book, I thought, you know, we. We had a little bit to do with the respective gold rushes in the 19th century. You know, some of the Aussies went over in, in the 1840s to California, yeah. and they weren't very good ambassadors, I have to say, Kevin. They created, you know, havoc in San Francisco and on, on the gold field. The Aussie, they came, fought, they came back to Australia, and I think the Californians breathed a sigh of relief. And then Americans did come out to our gold, our gold rush, you know, in Ballarat and Bendigo in the, 18, the 1850s. And then there wasn't much. A little bit of contact during the First World War when General John Monash led American troops at the Battle of Hamel in 1918. Uh, and then really nothing until just prior to the, the Second World War. Um, there were trade disputes. Australia gave imperial preference, uh, preferences and the Americans hated that. The Americans had their own you know, trade protection we didn't have a lot to do with each other. In fact, very little, very few Americans came here, and very few Australians went there. There was no submarine cables. There was no direct air services. Just prior to the Second World War, the Americans thought, "Gee, if the Japanese do do attack us in the Philippines, where would we likely launch a counterattack from?" And they thought, oh, "Australia." Mm. <laughs> and so they arrived and looked over northern. Northern approaches in Australia, and, and indeed, money was voted by Congress for you know, air bases and so forth just prior to World War Two. But it took security threat, Kevin, to to bring Australia um, and America together. It really was a shotgun marriage. It wasn't it, it wasn't love at first sight. It was yeah. more a shotgun wedding. Yes. And now it's now it's more a fiscal thing, isn't it, than a financial uh, sort of uh, relationship uh, that uh, that that dr- draws us together these days. That's right. Uh, you know, we, we we rely obviously the trade, technology, as well, of course, as, as security. The United States has become you know our most important partner, yeah. and I say that with great respect to the United Kingdom, but uh, it clearly is. And I know there are clearly are tensions, but. Um, now, as I look out my window right now, Kevin, I can see the Brisbane River. And during the Second World War, that was full of United States submarines yep. and U.S. destroyers right outside my window. It was a garrison city. You know, people forget the, the, the tumult of the Second World War and just how scared and frantic Australia was. It's a it's a great tale. I'm I'm pleased that uh, Reg Evans uh, gets the uh, the accolades and the uh, and the attention that I think is uh, he, he so rightly deserves, uh, and that we uh, we have this now as front and centre as uh, as you know something that people uh, certainly the the new generation should know about. Well, I think so. Uh, one of the she's very gracious, Ambassador Kennedy, because she she acknowledges that 
well, her, her father would not have survived without the assistance of, of, yeah. of Reg Evans. And she says, I wouldn't be here either, clearly. Yeah, correct. Uh, so she, she's very gracious. She acknowledges that. She, of course, she recreated the swim just recently uh, that her father uh, did to, to save, save his, himself and his crew. So there's an acknowledgement by Ambassador Kennedy and the Kennedy family about Australia's involvement. But it also helped when Robert Menzies first met President Kennedy in February of 1961. President Kennedy said to uh, Prime Minister Menzies, well, Mr. Prime Minister, um, Australia had a, a, a part in the making of my administration. Mm-hmm. And he spoke about Red Jevons. And I always think to myself, Kevin, what, a, what an icebreaker that was. You know? <laughs> it's hell of, a, hell of a conversation starter, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? You know, um, Kennedy said that and Menzies went, wow. And, of course, they got on very well thereafter, even though, Mindy's, I think, was a bit sceptical of this young, you know, this young, glamorous, handsome American politician. But after that, he was very much a, very much a fan of President Kennedy's. Yeah. Brett, congratulations on the book, mate. As I said, it's a great story. It's uh, terrifically well written and, uh, and uh, it's something I think people should uh, get a hold of and have a read of. Uh, thank you so much for sharing the story with us and bringing it, uh, bringing it to us. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. It is an amazing story, isn't it? And uh, what a relationship we have with uh, America these days. Saving Lieutenant, we'll use the Australian pronunciation, Saving Lieutenant Kennedy uh, is the book by Brett Mason. It's out through uh, New South Books and available everywhere now. Uh, And online, of course, is where I think a lot of people are buying books these days, uh, as well as in fabulous bookshops. I I love the experience of walking into a bookshop and uh, and having a look around, discovering things. It's one of those uh, great little joys. And for me, it's the same as having the actual book in your hand. I know Audible books are terrific uh, and they uh, serve a, a, a very valuable purpose. Uh, if you're driving or you're travelling, sometimes it's terrific to have uh, the book read to you by someone, uh, often the person who's written it. Uh, but the uh, the thing of having a book in your hand, I know I still I still really enjoy that, uh, particularly, you know, if you're out in the back deck uh, and uh, ha- sipping on a cold beverage uh, and, and read, flipping through a book, that's a nice experience and I hope you can have that in the next couple of weeks. Got some terrific guests on the way, uh, including Liz Hayes talking about her memoir and uh, old mate William McGuinness talking about his latest uh, writing effort as well. So good things coming up. On Authorised, thanks to our podcast partners, CSCG, give them a call, sort out your finances and make sure you're secure and you have the peace of mind of knowing that uh, your finances are doing what you want them to do. That's double nine seven four eight triple three or cscg.com.au. Till the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Read a book. It's good fun. It's good fun.